The second lesson this morning is from Luke 23, verses 33 to 43. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Christ who reigns, we thank you for these sacred words of scripture. We are humbled by them, humbled by what you have done for us. Open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning. Um, If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I do want to introduce myself. My name is Lee Pileman, and I am the pastoral intern here at Grace. What a heavy passage we have been handed. Uh, For months, we have been on this journey with Jesus and his followers to Jerusalem, from the north, down south to the place where he will be killed, and we are finally here kind of hard to believe. Before we dig into our passage this morning, I'm going to have us spend a few minutes reflecting and orienting ourselves around the revised common lectionary. And we're going to do that because we center and structure our services around the lectionary readings. As you've heard mentioned today, today is Christ the King Sunday, which is marking the end of the liturgical calendar. So today is the end of our yearly lectionary cycle, which feels momentous, and it's when we celebrate this feast that Christ reigns, or that Christ is king. And we also want to reflect on the lectionary because we're going to be using that lens of Christ's kingship to think through and process how this account of the crucifixion is a picture of the kingdom and what God is doing in this kingdom and this reign that we're invited into. As God's, as Christ's followers. So the lectionary is basically just a selected, a selected portion of portion of readings. It's a selected set of texts of Scripture that have been thoughtfully put together. They're taken from the Hebrew Scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament. They're taken from the Psalms. They're taken from the Gospels. They're taken from the Epistles with variations there, and they all kind of build on this theme of the gospel text for that week. And these selected readings or passages of scripture are centered on the seasons of the church. And the seasons of the church are centered on the life of Christ. 
And so today, we are celebrating Christ the King Sunday. There is so much more that we could say about the lectionary, but let me say this, that the lectionary is not a necessary way of reading the Bible, nor is it a necessary way of structuring a church service. But I do want to offer that it is a tool that I have come to love and appreciate that millions of churches and thousands of denominations across the world use to center the life of the church. And that feels really unifying. That feels like we're doing something to prop up and exalt Christ and the unity of Christ's body together this morning, especially at a time when there is so much fragmentation in the church in tribal fighting, schisms, we prop up huge egos and personas in our local churches. This is a way to decenter our egos, decenter our local churches, decenter individual people, and prop up Christ and Christ's word. Well, we have been with Luke for quite a while now, and the lectionary has selected these 11 verses as kind of the summit of our climb here together. And it is this week that we conclude the season of ordinary times, and we mark the celebration of the reign of Christ. And next week, we get to step into the new liturgical year, the season of Advent. When we look around the world, and we see that all is not how it should be. And we wait, and we hope, and we long for the light of Christ to dawn on us. But before we do that, let's end this year together well, sitting with these weighty words of Scripture from Luke chapter 23, pondering the ways that they speak to the reign of Christ and how they point us to God's kingdom. For me, the cross is an odd place to celebrate the kingly reign of someone. But I think what we're finding, what Luke has been poking and prodding us about for so many months now, is that the kingdom that Christ is ushering in confounds our notions of power and rule and reign. And in this culminating moment of Luke 23, this moment where Christ is reigning, we witness extreme rejection, humiliation, and mockery. And we find them met with forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. This is a different kind of power, one that is hard for us, hard for me to wrap my mind around, just as it was for those in the first century who lived under the harsh rule of puppet kings like Herod the Great or under mighty imperial Rome. So what do we observe in our text? I first want to highlight that what we are observing is who the kingdom is for. And I want to propose to you that this text is reminding us again, as Luke often does, that the kingdom is for outsiders. Perhaps one of the things you noticed in our passage this morning is how Luke is drawing our focus to the rejection of Jesus. He's rejected by the powers and the systems of the world. The rulers rejected him, the Roman soldiers rejected him, the Roman placard mocked him, 
and one of the criminals derided him. These rejections from the powers of the world are actually contrasted by a sort of acknowledgement and some level of recognition for whom Christ truly is from unexpected sources and people. The mourning women of Jerusalem, from the verses just preceding our text, the other criminal, beginning in verse 40 of our text, and the Roman centurion, who in verse 47, just a few verses later, will acknowledge this crucified one as the Son of God. Okay, so what I'm saying is that I think we're seeing, and as it's consistent with Luke, Jesus is still highlighting for us, even in his death, that it's unlikely individuals on the fringes or on the outside that seem to recognize that something remarkable and true and wonderful is taking place in Christ. Luke has been unveiling this true nature of the kingdom from the beginning of the gospel, and he doesn't want us to miss the point that it is for the forgotten and the outsiders. It's a kingdom where we learn from Mary's Magnificat that the proud would be scattered, the powerful brought down from their thrones, and the lowly lifted up. We learn from Luke's mini Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom of God is for the poor. It starts out small, not with fireworks and fanfare, but like a mustard seed, small, and has, contains huge promise of influence. Christ's kingdom, we learned, is stubbornly persistent and deeply aligned with justice for the downtrodden, like we saw with the parable of the persistent widow. The kingdom of God, we learned from the story of Zacchaeus, embodies radical generosity, patterns of living that seem to be found in unlikely places and unlikely persons. This is a king who, when the religious elite observed his behavior, thought he dines with the wrong people, he celebrates with the wrong people, he heals the wrong people, he reveals himself to the wrong people, he offers peace and hope to the wrong people, and he warns the wrong people, them, or maybe sometimes us, of God's coming judgment. Yes, even in his death, we see clearly that the kingdom Christ is ushering in is for the outsiders and the forgotten. That brings us to our next point, which is to observe what Jesus is doing in our passage and what it tells us about the nature of the kingdom. So what is this kingdom, and how is this text helping us to see that? How is Jesus being king? How is he reigning in this moment? Well, as we just discussed with the very offering of his life, in the agony of the cross, the king, by his very body, by what he's doing in this moment, is not only offering the kingdom for the outsiders, outsiders, but he's aligning himself, not with the strong and the powerful, but with the rejected. The powerful one aligns himself with the unseen, the innocent victim, the rebel, the criminal, and insert whoever else comes to mind. The list goes on as we consider all of those peoples and categories in our own context that are ignored, devalued, and shamed. 
This is a radically different kind of power. As the rejection and mockery against our Lord builds, his true royalty, one New Testament scholar tells us, shines out in his prayer and his promise. His prayer and death, unlike traditional martyrs who died with a curse on their lips against their tortures, his prayer is one of forgiveness. It's almost like Jesus is daring them to test the extent of his love and compassion and grace by the way Luke underscores the rejection and mockery that Jesus is experiencing in this heightened moment of agony. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And the promise, like a king or a queen on their way to enthronement, Jesus promises bliss and a place of honor to one who asks for it. The criminal. Refusing to save himself, Jesus is eager to save others, to extend his compassion and forgiveness. The emphatic placement of one of Luke's favorite words, today, in his reassurance to the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise, assures the man beside him, Luke's audience, and I think us this morning, that the kingdom of God is not merely a future hope, but a present and assured reality in Christ. This is the unveiling of God's upside-down kingdom and God's absurdly unending and long-suffering love for this beautiful, broken world. In this heightened moment of evil and rejection, Christ our King extends to those around him and the criminal his forgiveness and promise of salvation. This forgiveness and these promises are extended to us this morning as well. His durable love is steadfast and long-suffering, and we are invited to live under this reign and in this kingdom today. So what? How do we do this? How does this radical reign this invitation to live according to the kingdom affect you and affect me. Christ bids us to come and follow him. And yet, if you're like me, you must acknowledge that we don't know how to apply these kingdom patterns to our lives. Well, as you discern and as I discern Christ's call to live under his reign, as we seek to pattern our lives and rhythms after this king who is like no other, ignoring the voices and systems and powers and all of these other structures in our life that try to captivate us. I want to invite you at the end of our time here together to end our service, to end this homily time a little bit differently. So bear with me. We began the service reflecting on the lectionary, an ancient practice from the church that supports and nurtures the unity of the body of Christ. There's another ancient practice, Lectio Divina, or Divine Words, that I'm going to invite you to do with me in just a moment as we close out our time together. Lectio Divina is an ancient method of praying with the scripture, of inviting 
Christ and Christ's word to empower us in an embodied and centered and very personal sort of way. It centers on the idea that Christ is present to us in the scriptures. And it is a way for us to slow down together in community. It is often done in community as we seek to discern the word of God. I'm going to slowly read the passage from Luke again, and I will also read three short excerpts from the lectionary text from this week. As you listen, maybe place yourself in the scene in Luke. Maybe you are one of the women who has been following the procession weeping. Maybe you are one of the 12 who is reeling from the events of the night before and you are anguished as you are seeing your Lord and teacher being crucified on a cross. Maybe you are a skeptic or an outsider, not quite sure what you're doing here, but know that you are most welcome. Or maybe you're simply yourself, transported to this moment. If it feels comfortable to you, you may close your eyes. And don't worry, I will end with a prayer so you'll know when to open them again. My invitation to you as we end our time this way is primarily to rest in Christ. So for the next four minutes or so, let's turn to the Holy Spirit and submit ourselves to these carefully selected texts of Scripture. From Luke 23. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He has saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. From Jeremiah, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. From Luke 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. 
by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And finally, words from Paul in his letter to the Colossians. God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As we end, let me close us in prayer. Christ our King, thank you for meeting us this morning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to what it means to live under your reign. May the patterns of your kingdom be made alive in us. Root of Jesse, come and deliver us and delay no longer. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.